This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays, an ongoing virtual medical device meeting. Join us for each episode at 4 p.m. Eastern to hear from industry leaders like 3M, who will be sponsoring our next session. Go to devicetalks.com to register. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Once again, joining me on the Zoom line is my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker. Hello, Chris Newmarker. Hello, Tom Salemi. Good to be here. Good to have you. I, I, I texted you this last Friday. I don't know. Does your wife listen to the podcast? Because mine never does. And if she had, she would not have bought what she did, which was a pumpkin sausage Last I, I heard that. How'd that go for you? It was terrible, Chris. Yeah, Why would I, they? I think know? that was expected, right? <laughs> you know, M&M's a flavor too, but I don't put that in a sausage. You know, it's just, I don't know what people are thinking. I still remember a date years ago, you know, the first years I was, I was with my, my future wife and we went to a really, what was supposed to be a high-end restaurant in Bucks County and they had a uh, vanilla rubbed steak on the menu that i just made a face to all our podcast listeners i kind of wrinkled my yes. nose and cocked my head because that sounds different you know and, and since i was i was still in my 20s i thought yeah why not i'll give it a try you know like yeah no no bad bad idea you know some things just should go together like pumpkin sausages vanilla steak no i'll have the prime rib a la mode please that <laughs> <Yeah>. sounds delicious <laughs> it's rubbed with mocha <laughs> Excellent. No. <laughs> Let's move on. We're going to bore our, our, our yeah. listener, our listener singular at this point. So we have had an interesting week at AdvaMed. You, you attended, quotation fingers, the AdvaMed conference. Yes, I quote unquote attended. It was virtual. You know, I should have, since it was virtually in Canada, I should have like, you know, drunk some Molson's in the evening or something. <laughs> Uh, any any quick takeaways? I know it'll. I think it'll be well represented in this week's new markers, newsmakers. But uh, any takeaways from the experience? I think it was all right. There were still um, some you know insightful you know presentations that I saw. And as we, when we get those get to those newsmakers, in fact, I mean one of the uh, one of the talks there actually was uh, the most read story on mass device this week. But at the same time, man, I I'm just really looking forward to having like real conferences someday because i mean there's you just can't you just can't um you know beat actually you know being somewhere in person and being able to like ask people questions yourself and you know actually actually network and you know find some stuff out well you know chris we 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 put on our conferences as well in fact you know you're you're right i we're, we're going to be putting on our, our first one we, we're planning on october 2021 in boston so people should uh, certainly circle those dates i believe it's the fourth and fifth so we'll be talking about that in future episodes but we we are going to do that nothing pumpkin flavored at the uh, networking bar which we'll hopefully have because there'll hopefully be a vaccine by then so yeah yep Operation Warp Speed will have delivered Warp on the promise. Make it so. Heard <laughs> <laughs> <Turn> alert. <laughs> Chris and I are going to go down a really geeky path if we don't stop right now. So, oh no, this is a perfect setup for. <laughs> oh my gosh. For my new markers, newsmakers alarm. Here it is, news markers, newsmakers. <laughs> It's stomping on in. 
That's right. It is the king of the monsters here for the king of the medtech newsmakers, Chris Newmarker. That's it. Chris, that is All your right. opening sound. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep auditioning these suckers until we find the one that fits. Nothing wrong with your, your little, uh, hey, little dink-a-dink from last week, but I think we can be a little more powerful in our... Uh... Actually, we got some, some pretty strong, uh, strong stories for this week. So, so let's, let's get into number, number five of the New Markers Newsmakers. Well, yeah, number five, I mean, one of the things that uh, happened around the virtual MedTech conference this week was that uh, MedTech uh, Innovator uh, announced the winner of its 2020 global competition, got a virtual audience vote, $350,000 grand prize. But the, you know, the company was a uh, headshot monitor startup called, uh, called Reyes. And uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's an interesting device, you know, wearable, non-invasive, you know, it, it monitors ventricular shunt function. You know, these are like shunts that are. I'm going to stop you excess. right there, Chris. Yeah. You know why? Why? Because our opening keynote conversation is with Annalisa Samara, the CEO of Reyes. There we go. She will give us, I think, a better description than you and I could do. And uh, it is a really cool company. I'm glad they won. She's a very cool person. It sounds uh, like a really important need. Really important need. And what I really liked about it, and we'll talk about it at the end of the interview with her, is just how this how this is a disease that is getting very little attention, has had very little attention in, in decades. And you can have a, a device like this sort of bring promise and hope to people who must feel forgotten. I think that's one of the real benefits of med tech is that we're not driven just by those large markets. If you find the right tech, you can really, really find a, a way to help people with it. So uh, it's a cool story. Well, let's stop talking about it and let, let's get her on here to, to tell us more about it. This opening keynote interview is brought to you by Mass Device and Medical Design and Outsourcing, the premier news sources for medical design makers. Go to massdevice.com and medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com to track all the important events, news, and trends in our industry. Well, Annalisa Samara, welcome to the podcast. So glad to be here. Congratulations on on your win, on, on Reyes's win. Uh, we were talking before the interview. This is uh, you've been a, a fan of MedTech. Uh, was a MedTech idol. Now it's a MedTech innovator for for quite a time. You said. Yeah, that's right. It's hard not to be a fan. Uh, it's uh, I think it's just been an incredible program that has uh, evolved and has gotten better and better each year. So so glad to be a part of it. So let's talk about uh, your company, Reyes. Uh, uh, let us know a little bit about the the technology. I've seen a few videos. Uh, we've had uh, John Rogers in one of our Device Talks Tuesdays seminar, uh, super well known fellow, and I saw him quoted in, in one of your videos. But what is what is Reyes's product? What do you what do you do? Sure, sure. So Reyes is a, a medical device startup that spun out of Northwestern, out of John's lab over over there, huge lab, and essentially we're we're developing a non invasive wear sensor called FlowSense. And it's a platform technology that can go to a couple different clinical areas, but we're initially focusing on a chronic clinical condition called hydrocephalus. And there's about a million Americans who have this uh, condition and the, the, it's, uh, there's no cure for it nor there's any way to prevent it. But the standard of care for these million Americans is a placement of something called a shunt which is essentially tubing that drains the brain of excess cerebrospinal fluid. And that's really the characteristic of hydrocephalus patients is this ex excess fluid in the brain. So the fluid's got to go somewhere um, in order for you know, the patient to, to function properly and live a great life. So the standard of care is the placement of these shunts, which essentially drains the brain as a fluid. But these shunts have remained largely unchanged for the past 50 years. And there's such a high failure rate 
And by failure, I mean, they just stop working because things get clogged up in them or, uh, you know, there's infections, uh, dislodgement, that sort of thing. And when that happens, a new shunt, so another neurosurgery needs to be done. And it's terrible. And uh, it's not uncommon for uh, patients, especially little kids, to have multiple uh, neurosurgeries in the course of their life. And when there is a shunt malfunction, um, the standard of care is is imaging. Uh, A lot of the times, uh, you know, patients go to the ER uh, for suspected shunt malfunctions and it's, uh, their symptoms are nonspecific. So something like a headache can, can bring them into the ER. And at that point, um, to, to diagnose a patient with a suspected shunt malfunction, imaging is used, x-ray or CT. Sometimes uh, imaging is inconclusive. So patients have to be opened up. Um, a lot of patients are actually imaged or opened up uh, unnecessarily. And, um, you know, it takes a long time in the ER to, to diagnose, uh, you know, these patients. So there really isn't a quick, easy bedside, uh, widely used technology today that can, get, that can, they can do that. And that's what we're doing at, at FlowSense. So we kind of, our, our, uh, our device kind of looks like a bumpy bandaid. It's a, a Band-Aid talking on a cell phone. Was that how he had yeah, described it? Yeah, that's what Dr. <laughs> Rogers said. And that's right. Um, you know, it's essentially, I mean, that's kind of like a, uh, at a high level what it is. Um, it looks like it looks like a Band-Aid on, on the neck. It's a you know, disposable device. But while it looks like kind of a simple Band-Aid on the outside, there's really sophisticated electronics. And uh, it's, it's work that Dr. Rogers and team have, have been working on for, for a long time. You know, and, and it's really, really it's a, just a, a rapid spot check. So just in, in a matter of minutes, uh, the device is able to let the clinician know uh, at a binary sense if there's flow or no flow, as well as some you know, other information about flow, including the rate. So it's a, it's a fix to the neck as a Band-Aid would, and it's, and it's just actually just monitoring the flow of, of fluids that is going underneath it to tell whether they're going by or not. Is that right? That's, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, no technology that, uh, that, that can do that. And, you know, with, with imaging, really, it's just kind of a, a snapshot of, of two things of the ventricles. So those are the structures in the brain that make the excess fluid. Or it can also tell, imaging can also tell if there's like a, like a break in, in the shunt, but there's Imaging can't tell you anything uh, about the, the rate of flow or if there is flow. So that's, that's where we come in. We, we really help take uh, the guesswork out of, you know, shut malfunction. So what is the, uh, the status of, of FlowSense? Is it approved? Is this commercially available? I wish it were commercially available today. That- uh, it's not, but we are well on our way. Uh, we are, are working with the um, FDA. So we're, we're pre-market, pre-revenue, but, you know, that will uh, change uh, next year, uh, late next year around Q4. We're, we're looking to uh, launch the device in terms of the regulatory path. It's a class two device following a, you know, de novo uh, approval path. And we're fortunate uh, to have been granted a breakthrough designation by the FDA, which essentially expedites the uh, approval of FlowSense. What percentage of uh, examinations currently that, that look at the shunt to make sure it's flowing, what percentage of them turn up a, a blockage of some kind and what percentage is, doesn't? In, in, in other words, what Proceed. What are you going to be able to prevent once you have flow sense in place? Once it's able to tell whether or not the fluid is flowing, are you going to keep an X percentage or an X number of people outside of having a procedure? Yeah, that's actually that's a great question. So I think I can answer that like a couple of, you know different ways. So with our first device, we're we're looking to to launch um, in the hospital, and I, that'll be a single use disposable to be used in, in a couple different settings in the ER as well as in inpatient settings when when there is a uh, a new shunt placed in, so the patients can use it you know when they're in the recovery room. Um, so you know it it can it, we're not 
uh, you know, right. We're adding kind of just like another piece of armor, uh, another weapon, if you will, uh, for, for the clinicians to determine whether or not um, there's a shut malfunction. And um, it saves the clinicians a lot of time. Uh, you know, uh, neurosurgeons, ER doctors that we've talked to across the country um, said that sometimes they can wait one to two hours for imaging. And for a lot of these patients, especially those with, you know, have severe hydrocephalus, that's just like a lifetime. Um, so, you know, this really saves a lot of time and it's also a bedside device. You don't have to send a you know, patient out to imaging. You don't have to open them up. You don't have to do invasive testing. Um, this can really save a lot of time, grief, worry, especially on the patient side. You know, we've talked to so many patients and caregivers who every time we come out with a paper or a press release comes out about us, we get contacted. Even Dr. Rogers is contacted saying, when is this available? We can save us, you know, trips to the ER. You know, we've had patients contact us who have been to the ER in a single year, maybe five to 10 times. And, you know, that's, yes. no, that's no fun. So this could really, you know, uh, save a lot of a lot of that grief, you know, a given peace of mind. Especially now with COVID and, and the difficulty of going to the, the hospital, or at least the difficulties we've had. So is FlowSense applied in a clinical setting or is it is it applied at home? Is it something the patient has on them all the time? When is it used? Yeah. So with our first device, that will be used in the hospital only. Um, and we're looking to launch it, like I said, uh, late next year. Um, so there are inpatient and outpatient uses um, of that spot check. So that won't be, uh, you know, a continuous wear. Um, patients only need to wear it for probably, you know, five, 10 minutes on. So because it's really supposed to be just a quick spot check. Um, but we do realize the importance of continuous monitoring, especially monitoring at home, which is why our, for our second product, we're looking to, we are developing um, a home-based uh, version of FlowSense, um, which will be reusable, rechargeable, and really essentially will be telemedicine for hydrocephalus patients. Interesting. And what is, you've got those two products in the, for this application. Is there a baseline technology that's going to allow you to move into other diseases as well and other conditions as well? Yeah, definitely. So the, the thermal flow sensor um, is definitely not limited uh, to hydrocephalus. We do have published papers for, for monitoring uh, blood flow in a number of different applications. So there's vessels all over the body, right? So, you know, there's a certain, you know, definitely a different number of areas that, you know, we can go into. Um, we are working with, you know, academic collaborators um, in, in spaces like uh, in, in, in plastic surgery, as well as in the oncology space, um, as well as, um, you know, the, you know, diabetic space and wound care monitoring space. So really, um, there are a number of possibilities, you know, for this device, um, but we're leading with hydrocephalus really because of the, uh, you know, ready state of the technology and everything else that's in place for that initial market. Excellent. And I, and I am kind of doing things in reverse. Typically, I like to open these interviews up, finding out a bit about the person, but I was uh, sure. wondering to find out about the company. How did you come to uh, become involved with, with Reyes? And this is your, your second company that you've led, right? Or at least you co-founded one earlier? Yeah. So I, I co-founded one, oh gosh, when was this? Uh, back in 2004. So mm -hmm. maybe if I can backtrack just a bit, um, I, I've been involved in the medical device space for about 16 years now, you know, wearing many different hats, venture capital, starting my own company, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, while, while in graduate school, whose products are sold all over the world um, and have played senior management roles in, in a bunch of companies, you know, I, I became aware of Dr. Rod 
challenges work when I was involved in early stage VC, where we invested in, you know, uh, a couple of his companies and I knew the strength of, you know, his technology that came out of the lab. It didn't have a medical applications, you know, back then. But, uh, you know, when he transitioned um, over to Northwestern, you know, that generated a lot of press and, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we connected and I had been also, uh, uh, he reached out to me to, you know, kind of consult for a couple of his other companies. Uh, and I did. And then, you know, one day uh, he said, you know, take a look at this, um, this grant application and it came from Reyes. And, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on uh, grants for, you know, 2008, these are government grants um, and, and I've gotten companies, a lot of money and grants. And, I, and then I read this grant and I just like, just hit the brakes. I'm like, okay, in my 16 years of doing this, I don't think I've ever come across a company that's targeting hydrocephalus. I need to know why, you know? Is it interesting? Is it not interesting? You know, are people just missing the boat here? That's a great question. The, the technology was just so fascinating. And, and then the, the use case was very intriguing. So the, the you know, the, the further I dug into it, I said, gosh, you know, I, I need to get involved. And, you know, I had my hands in a couple other companies, but I was just so drawn to obviously the tech and, and the use case. And I asked Dr. Roger, I said, well, Who's running this company? Because the founders, you know, they, they were largely, you know, academic and, and on their paths. There's, you know, a, a neurosurgeon. Another was a postdoc at MIT right now. So they weren't going to be running the company. It's like, well, no one will be soon. So, you know, maybe you might be interested. And I said, I am 100% interested. So That's awesome. I dug a little deeper and that really, I just dropped everything. And that is actually, it was a huge deal for me just because I have been, consulting and, and have been a part of so many different startups where, you know, I was so comfortable with this supportive role and then something like this comes along and I said, you know, and then something in, in me said, Annalisa, you better grab this. You better grab it now. So then I just went all in, all in, you know, since, since then I, um, uh, you know, recruited some, uh, some great talent uh, with uh, some folks that I had worked with over the course of, you know, 15 years. And I said, you guys, you got to come over here. Just stop what you're doing. Just join me. And, you know, I've got some, uh, you know, some great, uh, I call them warriors on my team who've got their battle scars from startups. And I think that's really important too, to have really experienced folks on the team. And they're just so smart. And I think Rails is moving so quickly and is so successful really because the team is so strong. That's great. I love those moments where you're just, the, the, your intellect and your heart sort of well, your heart takes over and then you try to get your intellect to talk yourself out of it. And you just simply can't, you let, can't let something go. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I think, um, I think you hit on a key word there and, and this is when your heart takes over. I'll tell you what is that, you know, when I got to know and understand uh, you know, the patients a bit more, I guess the closer I got to the company, um, I was really drawn in, um, you know, I think within the first week, of, of, of joining Reyes uh, is when I talked to a mom uh, of, of a patient with hydrocephalus and I'm a mom myself. And, you know, I would do anything. I would move mountains, stop the world for my kids. And she just said, you know, a couple sentences. And I was like, Oh, wow, you have me, you have me because I want, I would do anything like, like what you're doing. Um, and just, just the fact that there's no cure for this, that, you know, these, these patients, they just suffer so much, um, you know, it just, it just really, um, you know, tugs the heartstrings. And I think it really adds, you know, a, a lot of meaning and it really gives us a mission to, you know, be successful in the company. Well, I think uh, I love the, the question you asked initially, which was why isn't anyone, why hasn't this been looked at before? And I bet those people feel forgotten, like no one else is, no one's trying to innovate their problem. And yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's really one of the strengths of MedTech is that we're not necessarily driven by the big market opportunities or the cancer drugs or whatever, that you can find an innovative tech that solves this really critical problem that has gone unattended to, as you said, for, for decades, if not longer. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, it's a, it's a great story. Congratulations on, on the win. Uh, I'm sure someone will be listening to this and wonder if you'll be raising money or anything like that. Are you going to be uh, any plans for that or what's next? Yeah, we are currently raising a one and a half million dollars seed round mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, our, our due diligence, uh, you know, with with investors. But as you know, uh, you know, uh, CEOs are always fundraising. <laughs> close around. Fundraising never stops. Right. So. You know, I'm, 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 you know, happy to, you know, chat with uh, anyone that might be interested in, in being a part uh, of this journey with us. You are, you are a true CEO. That's absolutely right. Never, never say no. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, the time today. And thanks for joining us in the podcast. Pleasure to be here. All right, we're back. It was great to talk with Anna Lisa Samara of Reyes. What is, uh, what is our number four on New Marcus Newsmakers list, Chris? Oh, number four this week was uh, Medtronic was uh, announcing that it's you know had the first patient uh, implanted in the elite study evolving its uh, Interstim Micro SNS system. But what this is is this is a neurostimulator system that uh, sends electrical impulses to the sacral nerves in the lower back, and it's uh, to improve bladder and bowel control. So I mean, kind of one of the things in medtech in, in recent years is you know they're taking like pacemaker like technology and and using it for you know all kinds of different applications you know, zapping you know different nerves in the body to, to treat things and you know this is an example of neurostem for bladder and bowel control um you know here you know it'll be uh interesting to see uh you know how the the study goes hopefully it's another uh you know you know good good use of uh, neurostem technology i'm wondering if we should see if medtronic wants to sponsor this list chris because they're on every week you know it's true <laughs> 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 if we had a Hall of Fame, I think I think they'd be our first uh, inductee. I mean, they're the largest medical device company in the world, so I mean, that is a fair point. You're that big, you're you're going to produce a lot of uh, news in the industry. So let's we're move on to number three on the New Markers Newsmakers list. You know, number three. Um, you know, it was this is a story. Uh, Gosh, there's some guy on our staff named Tom Salemi. Um, who, He's who good. Writes stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, he, from me. You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were writing about, um, you know, Avail Med Systems, which you know has been a, a guest on this podcast. Uh, you know, they've got some really, uh, you know, really interesting uh, telemedicine equipment. Absolutely. No, they're they're Avail's a cool company, and uh, they were the uh, sponsors of our Device Talks Tuesdays this week. So if people want to hear their entire plan, which is really fascinating. It's going beyond just telemedicine or procedural telemedicine as they're, as they're calling it. Uh, they've got plans for the content. They've got plans to, uh, to really build out the business. And I learned on LinkedIn, someone had posted that this was actually one of the original intentions of Intuitive when it started. And Dan was employee number six. Dan Hawkins, the CEO, was, uh, I believe, the sixth employee at Intuitive. So Intuitive had designs on doing something like this. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of neat to follow the pedigree. And, and I kind of like how they've got this model where they're instead of selling the equipment, they're br- pretty much giving it away, like it's like a cable box or a satellite TV equipment or whatever, and then they're gonna, you know, basically charge a subscription for it. So it's kind of a neat model. And Dan on the uh, on the talk this week confessed that it's a really expensive model to be giving away <laughs> all this equipment for free, and then the next day they announced, well, we raised a hundred million dollars. It's like, well, that should that should cover a little bit of your cost. If anyone wants to check that out, they can go to devicetalks.com, register, it's free, 
and uh, it's on. You can see Dan and see Doctor uh, Bill Nicholson talk about the uh, the system and how it works. And one of Avail's first customers or first big customers is Smith and Nephew. So after we finish uh, our last two new markers newsmakers, we're going to have our, our closing keynote conversation with Skip Keel. He's the president of orthopedics at Smith and Nephew, and we'll talk a little bit about Avail more about their uh, acquisition of the extremities business at Integra. And I'm going to uh, completely geek out. Nerd alert. Why don't we move on to number two on the, on the new markers newsmakers list, Chris? Oh yeah. Number two is uh, we're back to Medtronic again. Actually, I mean, Medtronic really, uh, really dominates the list. This, you know, they really ran the table. Uh, I mean, you know, the number two news is that their uh, former CEO, Omar Ishrak, uh, he's going to be, um, you know, retiring from the board. He's not going to be up for re-election at the end of the year. And uh, he's been um, executive chairman of, of the board since, uh, you know, since he uh, stepped down in uh, April to make way for Jeff Martha. And he's, he's actually, he stepped down from that, you know, executive chairman spot, you know, effective immediately. And then, you know, he's going to be uh, heading out in just, uh, in just a few months. But, uh, you know, you- but speaking of halls of halls of fame, if there's a hall of fame of people who came in with an extraordinary hype and exceeded that hype, I think, I think he'd have to be on that list. I mean, I mean, he he turned Medtronic into the largest medical device company in the world. He oversaw a fifty billion dollar acquisition of Covidian. I mean, so I mean, he's he's left a mark on that company. And yeah, and he and he also really influenced the sector a lot. I mean, how many times were companies being forced to either speak to what Medtronic was doing or actually act on what Medtronic was doing, incorporating more services into their business program? Just, just they, they really did change. He, under his leadership, Medtronic really has been leading this sector. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do under Jeff Martha. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely one of the first, you know, CEOs to really in the medical device industry to really talk about, you know, you know, digital health and like kind of speak about what they are doing as more like, mm-hmm. like a service versus just being a manufacturer of devices, you know, and that, that's, that really seems to be the future of the industry. I mean, healthcare in the U S is changing a lot. It needs to change. It's very wasteful. Um, and, uh, you know, device companies just can't just sell devices. They need to actually be like, hey, we're, uh, you know, chronic heart disease management company or di- diabetes management company. And the, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, like, future potential there. Well, needless to say, if he wants to be on this podcast, the invitation is open. We will give him a, uh, we'll give him a trophy. We'll find some trophy to give him, right? Yeah. Some kind of award. Totally. Yeah. It'll be fancy. We'll, we'll get something good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, we tipped our hand a bit, but what is number one on the new Markers News and Makers list? All right. Well, number one was uh, you know the the current CEO of Medtronic, Jeff Martha. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know Martha, you know, was speaking at the uh, you know virtual MedTech conference this week that uh, Avamed hosted. And I, I thought it really was one of the. Um, I, I, it was the best talk that I saw. Um, and, you know, the thing that really stuck out to me was that, you know, Martha got, you know, a question about like, well, you know, hey, everybody wants to know when's the industry going to come back to normal? And he, you know, quickly responded like, I don't want to go back to normal. Um, and mm-hmm. he was saying later on, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. And, he, he, you know, he said he's an optimistic person and that, uh, you know, that I mean, he acknowledged that, you know, we've all been through a lot of, you know, pain this year. I mean, we've got, you know, this this deadly pandemic, you know, economic crisis, social unrest, but, you know, there, there's kind of this feeling like, Hey, we got to, you know, learn something from this and, you know, move forward and, you know, to, you know, have like, you know, better times, more exciting times. And he even, you know, he even listed off, 
you know, some of the lasting changes he's already seeing as, you know, Medtronic and other device companies, you know, deal with this pandemic. Um, you, you want to hear a few? Absolutely. And I, and I loved his yeah, answer, by I, the way. I don't want to go back to normal. I absolutely loved it. But go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was, um, you know, he was like, you know, commenting on how, um, you know, sales reps, you know, are, you know, doing a lot of like, you know, remote, you know, um, technical support you know, in ORs mm. and then the pandemic. He didn't mention, yeah, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, he didn't mention Avail, but I mean, it's definitely, I mean, he, he was mentioned, he, he mentioned that, you know, he, you know, he said that, you know, that, that was something he could see continuing on past the pandemic and a lot of other, you know, remote stuff that, you know, people like, for example, like with a pacemaker, you know, people have had to go in, you know, to, to their doctor's office or clinic, you know, to get the device checked or get it reprogrammed. I mean, that could be, you know, he, he just said that anything that can be done remotely and virtual is, is preferred, you know, going forward. And, you know, he, uh, you know, he also said that, uh, you know, like it, it was never preferred to have rehospitalizations, after device implantations, but, you know, that's even, mm -hmm. you know, bigger, you know, now. And so, you know, being able to prove that your devices have fewer complications, backing that up with data, that's, that's going to be, you know, bigger than ever, um, you know, going forward from the pandemic. And, um, you know, and he talked about learning outside the industry. I mean, it sounds like he's been, um, you know, really looking at how, you know, automotive uh, companies, really effectively manage their supply chain. So I wouldn't be surprised, like, look at, you know, Medtronic doing some stuff, you know, going forward with, you know, trying to really, um, you know, really make their supply chains, you know, more, you know, more efficient, you know, emulate some more of the stuff that the automotive industry does. And, you know, he talked about social issues, you know, he just kind of said that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, med tech companies, companies in general, you know, they need to, they need to play bigger. They need to weigh in on social issues. You know, he said, you know, how can we part, I mean, they can't solve every social justice issue out there, but you know, how, how can they be parts of, uh, you know, solutions, you know, sometime. No, that's great. That's great that he's saying that out loud. We had, uh, Camille Chang Gilmore on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with Dr. Jaff from Boston Scientific about the Close the Gap program, and it's great to see MedTech's uh, stepping up like that. So good stuff. And uh, yes, some, yeah, some really good stuff. I, I should note that uh, Chris Newmarket, I think you you wrote three of the five top stories. So you are you're a machine, sir. I'm 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 contributing this week. I'm doing a lot of work. <laughs> I'm so humble. Well, that's a great, great Newmarket's Newsmakers list. Like I said in the uh, the Slack message, that's quite a murderer's row. So great stuff this week, Chris. It was really a Godzilla of uh, Newmarket's Newsmakers. <laughs> this closing keynote interview is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays On Demand. You can find past episodes featuring industry leaders like Locust Robotics, Avail Med Systems, ResMed, Thrive Earlier Detection, KCK, Striker, Ambu, and others. Go to devicetalks.com to watch our entire season for free. Well, Skip Keel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom. Great to, great to chat with you again. Nice to be on the, uh, the show with you today. Great to have you. And I have to admit, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people, but I've never been starstruck before. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and reading through all your past, striker, yada, 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 Alcon, yada, 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 and then professional baseball player <laughs> and a, minor, a double A ball player to boot, which is my favorite level of ball. I love minor league ball. I love I love baseball. So <laughs> honestly, I'm a little excited. It's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I'm glad I looked that up. I won't bother you with questions about your minor league career. Tom, you, have you ever seen the movie Bull Durham? That was my life in a nutshell uh pre that pre is, professional career path so it was uh, all things good bad and ugly sleeping on long bus rides eating in that <laughs> awful house and everything in between so it was uh, it was a lot of fun but it, it did set me up for you know kind of career pathing in uh, in the medical device uh, industry for sure um there's a lot of focus on 
preparation and competing and your results matter, right? We're a publicly traded company. And as a baseball player, you fail more times than you're successful and you wind up in the Hall of Fame. Can't do that in, in, uh, in our- Can't do that in medical devices. <laughs> no, uh, that's for sure. Well, Bull Durham is my, my favorite all-time movie. My wife and I watch it at least once a year and, and call it the Bible because we refer to many of the great lines in there. But how did you make that transition from uh, from from leaving baseball to medtech? Did you always know you wanted to go into medtech, or was that just the best opportunity available to you? Yeah, Tom, that's a great question. I, I really, at, at some point in my life, knew I always wanted to be in healthcare. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, my mom was a, a healthcare administrator and a nurse and, and a hospital administrator, and and so I was always around the hospital environment and always around surgeons and you know, kind of in and out of uh, hospitals from a career perspective. I, I had plenty of injuries in my uh, my career playing baseball, which probably led to my, uh, my my enthusiasm for getting into the space. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was really a striker that gave me an opportunity to be a sales rep. And uh, I took that on in, uh, in the state of Texas and, and really started understanding kind of the pathway of, of what was available and, and really, you know, working with an established, you know, kind of global player at the time. I think I joined Stryker when they were about two, two and a half billion and took the ride to eight. Um, so it was a, it was a great proving ground, learning ground. Uh, and it gave me uh, an opportunity to travel and, and, and live and work around the world. Uh, I did go to Japan and, and ran their business there and got to Europe, Middle East, Africa, and was, was doing some things in, in Western Europe there with Stryker. So it was, it was a great place to learn and grow, but, you know, at some point needed to spread my wings and, and move on from, from them. And, uh, uh, here I am at Smith and Nephew, looking forward to competing now. You spent some time at, at Alcon and in a few of the larger companies. Was there a commonality to your positions? Were you always was there? Obviously, there was a plan, but what what was connected from position to position as you moved from company to company? You know, Tom, there was. I think the thesis was really around solving big problems. Uh, I, I really enjoy the opportunity to uh, to understand an existing problem set and and start thinking about you know additive uh, you know exposure, whether it be in the business side or go-to-market change or channel management strategy. You know, we did a lot of restructuring over each one of those those ventures and, and really aligned to a highly, you know, competitive and, and uh, complementary product portfolio that needed a channel. Uh, and, and we did plenty of M&A uh, opportunities uh, within the context of that. But, you know, as I started thinking about my career path, it was really around, you know, playing chess with your career and, and it became three-dimensional at some point in regards to the ability to, to do those things. And, and I've been afforded the opportunity to work for some great companies and work for some great leaders. And it's really been a great place to learn and grow. And, and if I think about my career in, in a nutshell, it's, uh, you know, I've been joining organizations that have always been on kind of some gestational life cycle of, uh, of performance or product portfolio management. And, uh, you know, no, no different than where I am today at Smith & Nephew, as you think about even the most recent acquisition, you know, we did with the uh, Integra Life sciences orthopedics business let's talk about that Let, let's talk specifically about that but then we can zoom out a bit and talk about what you're doing at uh at the orthopedics business because you have so much going on smith and nephew had an extremities line or some business some some products available was there always an intention to to expand it did you look at multiple opportunities or was it more serendipitous with the deal with integra how did that come together no, we, we did some product portfolio landscaping when I first arrived at Smith & Nephew two years ago. And, and this was a logical opportunity from my perspective. You know, Smith & Nephew's uh, got a very strong presence and obviously all aspects of, of orthopedics, you know, except, you know, shoulder and, you know, what I call pure play extremities. And, and we do have some products in that category. 
uh, we, did, we didn't have a meaning for a portfolio. You know, what we do have is a very strong channel in, in regards to both the United States and, and globally. Uh, you know, we do 50% of our, our business in the U.S. and the other 50% is the rest of the world, uh, EMEA being a very strong portion of that, and then emerging growth markets with, you know, Asia Pacific uh, uh, and China being, you know, strong components to that, that growth thesis. I don't have the numbers in front of me as far as your competitors go, the balance OUS versus US, but I'm wondering that 50-50 split at this time when the world is in the state that it's in, has that benefited you? Are you are you able to have some rising tides in some markets and to compensate for the, the uh, lower tides in others? Yeah, Tom, we, we have a balance play uh, from a geographical spread. And, and, you know, I really won't get into the competition, but I can tell you they don't have a 50-50 split and, and we have some balance there. And so when you start thinking about acquisition, uh, you know, if you, if you have a large footprint in the United States and, and in this instance, you know, the orthopedic extremities business of uh, Integra did, uh, but there was a logical opportunity to expand that globally. And from our perspective, you know, we, we made a, a very good partner from, from our perspective. You know, we, we don't have any really long-term legacy issues with, with the business. Uh, you know, we don't have any competing shoulder priorities. And so, you know, you going back to your original question, you know, we did the landscaping and knew that there were some requirements in regards to what we wanted to get into. Really, at the end of the day, you want to be in one of the fastest growing spaces. And so we see orthopedics growing that six, seven, eight percent range um, within the context of orthopedics, a real logical extension of uh, what we need to be doing. And, and so it made a lot of sense from our perspective. And it was the right asset at the right price. Uh, and ultimately, you know, again, with a multi-generational plan from my perspective on product development, that was the other key component, you know, again, wasn't interested in just buying revenue, really wanted to have a multi-generational product plan that we could leverage with some of our strategic assets and, and more importantly, with our robotics platform on a go-forward basis. That's an interesting point. I was going to ask about that. Where Where is the growth coming from? Is it just uh, people haven't had that done before? Just It's it's Greenfield or uh, what? what is driving the, the rise in that market? Well, I think if you start thinking about the complete continuum of, of intervention, right? And, and one portion of that is, is mechanical or surgical intervention, but there's soft tissue repair. And, and I would tell you, you know, we've got a fantastic sports business. You know, we're number one, number two player in most markets that we participate in around the world. And you start adding that continuum of care where you've got soft tissue. You know, we've got some great products in the uh, regenerative space and regenerative medicine space. And you start thinking about, you know, rotator cuff repair. And then, you know, you kind of transition that into, you know, total shoulder arthroplasty. We feel like we have. Uh, you know, when combined will be a very compelling value proposition for surgeons that do, you know, uh, extremity-based orthopedics. Uh, and, and so really, when you start thinking about that shoulder and that implant only as a system, you know, we start thinking that we've got a holistic view of what we can actually deliver to the marketplace and, and allows us some flexibility in, in regards to how we want to launch things commercially uh, and how we want to compete. What is that, uh, what will that integration look like of the Integra product line and, and the workforce? Uh, do you anticipate any changes, cuts? Is it going to be going to bags of existing salespeople at, at Smith & Nephew? What, what's the plan? Yeah, Tom, I won't get into the strategic specifics, but I can tell you that, you know, obviously we're not closed yet. And so uh, what we will talk about is really what does it mean to uh, Smith & Nephew as an orthopedics player? You know, we'll be able to come into tender-based environments and, and really come at you know, some of the large GPOs, IDNs with a full bag of products, um, you know, particularly given the, the extremities focus that a lot of hospital systems have. And, you know, given the COVID environment, it's, it's going to be really important to have, you know, multi-generational product planning and the ability to serve a, a broad base uh, specialized uh, selling force uh, with, with clinical solutions. And so we're very excited about that. Uh, and, and that's really what the acquisition represents. It, it's a significant opportunity to strengthen our position and in, in where we see a high value growth area and allows us to create a leading extremities uh, commercial selling force. 
uh, with a specific focus on shoulder. You mentioned the robotics potential earlier, but let's let's zoom out a little bit and talk about your your robotics platform. You you uh, rolled out Corey earlier this year. Talked a bit about how that is sort of moving you on from the from the Navi product you had before. What what is that that generational leap like? Yeah, there's there's a couple things, Tom, and, and I'm, I'll even zoom out a little further. And, and really, when we start thinking about you know kind of you know what, what's going on in the enabling technology space, you know, our, our focus is really around a couple things. Number one, it's real intelligence, and, and that is the the broader digital surgical ecosystem of solutions that that really will provide us the continuum of care, uh, and, and you know, taking advantage of all the products that Smith and Nephew offers today. You know, for example, our, our uh, Visionaire. You mentioned you know kind of the Navio product, the next generation product, which is Corey. Um, you know, so we've got a broad-based uh, robotics platform, and you know, we've also got got some interconnectivity with uh, with patients in regards to our Aria platform, uh, which is is really the the impetus of of the connected digital surgical ecosystem. Um, and, and really, at the end of the day, this platform will allow us to compete differently. You know, when you start thinking about clinical efficiency and, and value-based you know, data management, this is going to allow uh, Smith and Nephew to show up in a very different way, you know, whether it be post-acute recovery time or efficiencies in the OR or post-operative care, uh, you know, we're going to allow ourselves an opportunity to, to show up in a very different way. And part of that is really through, you know, what you mentioned, which, which is Corey, right? You know, so we, we had FDA clearance in February of, of this last year and and, uh, you know, not a great time to launch, you know, a, a great product uh, like Corey no. given the pandemic, but uh, we, we did launch it uh, commercially in, in the middle of July of, of this year and, and really, you know, started seeing uh, uh, some great, great uptick in the number of cases. And, you know, it's, it's really a, a great platform, right? Uh, it, it doesn't have a preoperative scan required for uh, delivering of surgical intervention. You know, it's more efficient. It's got a faster camera. It's got a higher processing speed. Uh, you know, so there's a whole host of things that we feel great about in regards to the capabilities of Corey. Um, but it, it really fits in with the, the broader platform of, you know, smarter, more efficient uh, handheld robotics and precision milling, which we think has got application beyond just uh, total joint arthroplasty. Again, when you start thinking about the combination of our sports platform and where we're going with that, it's, it's pretty exciting to see uh, that the future is pretty bright in regards to that context. Do you, with a, with a system like that, compete directly with... I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll say a, a competitor is a product, a Mako or something, which is an entirely different type of system. Do you, do you compete directly with them or do you really find physicians who prefer just this type of technology over that type of technology? And, and they're just more, I guess, wired toward what you're offering versus something else. And I'm sure there are people who are, who are the reverse. Yeah, Tom, that, that's always a great question. And from my perspective, it's less about the competition. It's really about solving the issues in the industry, right? And if you think about the clinical requirements of, of, of drug driving support, whether it be in robotics or smart tools or data management, you know, we, we really feel like, you know, our, our, our platform when garnered holistically really puts us at a key competitive advantage. Uh, again, thinking about the handheld approach, again, we're, we're not trying to replace the surgeon's ability to make decisions. We're giving them more information at the right time with the right level of uh, uh, intuitive uh, understanding in regards to how they manage their surgical intervention. And that's really where we differentiate ourselves um, and the other piece of this is, you know, we, we really think about site of care. I mean, you know, our robotics platform is highly portable, right? You don't have to mm-hmm. recalibrate, reset. There's not an additional cost to move it from one OR to the other. Uh, and, and so when you start thinking about, you know, we, we do have the smallest footprint in, in the industry. 
and the combination of that portability, you know, whether or not you're in the inpatient or the outpatient setting. And we see this kind of transition from inpatient to outpatient total joints uh, in sports medicine procedures. It's, it's a pretty exciting uh, opportunity from my perspective. And, and you start thinking about the integration of some of the software technologies that we participated with when we when we picked up Brain Lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, start thinking about a holistic view there. And, and when you start thinking about, you know, total knees, total hips um, and revision applications along with sports, it, it becomes a pretty compelling value proposition over the period of time. How different is it to sell in orthopedics now than it was 10 years ago? Because you're, you're using, I'm sure, a lot of terms, a lot of dynamics, a lot of technology that 10 years ago, you were just sort of selling an implant. Now you're selling like a whole system to, to, to perform the surgery. How different is the business today than it had been? You know, Tom, it's, it's dramatically different, right? If you think about, you know, where we were 10 years ago, and we'll just take a trip back in memory lane here, you know, it really was around implants only. Uh, and then there was this kind of transition to implant systems, you know, which drove the cost to serve up higher because you had holistic value propositions, you know, with out, outcomes-based, loyalty-based agreements. And, and now we're in the, in the world of kind of, you know, what I call navigated robotics products, right? And, and that's really where we find ourselves today, whether it, you know, be with our competition or even where we are at, you know. Um, but ultimately, I think this this journey continues and it really goes down the road of procedural automation. Um, you know, and it's early days for that, from my perspective in this space, you know, still, you know, less than 10% of, uh, of total joints are done with a robotic intervention today. Uh, you think about where car manufacturing was, uh, you know, 50 years ago and in, in the automation of, of uh, the whole manufacturing lines. And you think about, you know, kind of where, where we're going, you know, I think integrated systems are really going to drive a different set of information, right? So this is about information management. It's about the data, the control of the information and, and really leveraging that to, to get better outcomes and provide more insights to surgeons. Um, you know, so I, th- I think from our perspective, you know, again, thinking through that enabling technology and that multi-generational product planning is, is part of the, the process of, of differentiating ourselves uh, where, where we're going. Uh, how is your, your, the, the, the makeup of your sales team changed? Do you have more technical people on it, like more sort of engineers who come in to, to support after the deal's done or to close a deal or answer the, the final questions? Is it that sort of almost software kind of makeup? Yeah, Tom, we, we, we've got a couple of different things from my perspective. I mean, one is, is really the upfront capital sale, right, which is kind of the transition from the buy-sell process and then moving on to the clinical adaptation. You, you've got to commercially execute on these products. You can't just, you know, roll a robot in or roll a, a quarry into the marketplace and then ultimately you kind of walk away from it you, you've got to commercially execute on that uh, and, and so there's a whole opportunity relative to accelerating growth from that perspective and, and creating you know kind of the adoption curve because um, it's one thing just to have the technology of making sure you you establish the appropriate clinical oversight and preparation um, you know so there's this uh, I think from my perspective a scaling approach that's required um, so we're not all, we're not just about you know uh, getting robots or placing boxes, which is you know kind of some of the fundamental differences for, versus us in our competition. Again, we're, we're really focused on kind of transitioning those services as part of the process of accelerating the business. But do you need do you need to have a robotic system or something more than just implants to compete these days? You know, I I, I believe you do. Um, yeah. I think you know you're going to have the traditionalists that, that are going to be kind of the late stage adopters. But you know what we've seen is this early early adoption curve in regards to enabling technologies, whether it be navigation. I mean, think about it. Navigation's been around, you know, probably 15, 18 years in in, in somewhat of a mass market adoption approach. Uh, robotics, you know, we're in that kind of three to five year uh, early early adopter curve. Uh, you know, so again, if you start 
uh, aligning to the cost value equation. And, and we think we've hit that on the, on the nose, you know, when you have a product that's, that's appropriately priced at the, at the value equation and provides a differentiated clinical outcome and it's reproducible and you can create mass market adoption. And that's really where we're going. Uh, and you start thinking about the shift from inpatient, right? So think about the hospital care setting to this outpatient environment and really the transition to the ASE setting. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of the flexible components that, that we like to talk about, obviously, with our uh, our Corey product and, and where we're going with enabling technology. Is that really your sort of your sweet spot, the move to, to, to the ASCs? You really think you have an advantage there, given your smaller footprint and lower price? Yeah, I think it's 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 a cost value equation. I, I think the integration of sports is a big one for us. Uh, it's mm-hmm. something that our, our competition can't do uh, or haven't approached uh, the marketplace with. But I think you know, as we think about kind of the medium term, we're excited about the ability to compete both inpatient and outpatient, right? So it's not either or, it's both from our perspective. Uh, and we want to make sure that we re- remain flexible and have optionality in regards to whether whether healthcare providers want to operate. You know, think about surgeons, most of them have an inpatient uh, hospital they're associated with, but a lot of them are, are moving some of their procedures, particularly given, you know, COVID and the, and the potential patient concerns and, and, and more um, consideration in regards to those procedures being done in the outpatient setting. Folks are just more comfortable going to an ASC than they are going into a hospital these days. What did uh, what did COVID teach you? It seems to have taught everybody something about our, our business. You know, it's it's interesting that the fact that we're doing a, a video chat and an online uh, kind of conversation, that's normal course of business. I, I think it's taught me three things. You know, un- unlike the initial surge, uh, that, that COVID had, I think, you know, we, we have a society and a healthcare system that's just unbelievably adaptable. Uh, and in and, and, and my perspective, it's, it's really, you know, in, in the face of a lot of uncertainty, you know, there will be dramatic shifts in, in innovation that come out of this, right? Thinking about telemedicine, uh, you know, there was a big challenge with some of the adoption related to telemedicine prior to, to COVID. And now with all the interactions, whether they be Teams or Zoom or all the different, you know, platforms, you know, we, we from our perspective, about 30 to 35 percent of healthcare visits um, over the next two to three years are going to be done some for, form of telemedicine platform. Um, and, and I think that's a big dramatic shift from from where it was, you know, just even 12 months ago. Uh, so that that's pretty exciting. Um, I, I think the total cost of ownership, um, Tom, is going to be one that that equation is going to come back to to be uh, one that's front and center, really around the value proposition. Uh, and, and again, you know, what value is that enabling technology bringing to that that surgical intervention? Is it adding more costs, or is it providing more insights? Is it making you faster? Is it is are you making you know average surgeons better? You know, what, mm-hmm. what does that total equation look like? And and that's something that I think you know we're we're really well positioned to to participate in. I know you got to go in a minute. Uh, quickly, you're working with Avail Med Systems, which is has been a topic uh, we've I've written about a lot. We had on our Device Talks Tuesdays webinar this week. What uh, what will that bring to uh, to Smith and Nephew's uh, sales sales efforts? Yeah, Tom, we're really excited about that. Uh, you know, I, I would just say, hang tight. We won't get out ahead of ourselves. Uh, we're gonna, you know, kind of crawl, walk, uh, learn to run, and then and then we'll bring something pretty meaningful uh, from a, a disruptive innovation to the marketplace. We're, we're very excited about what what we think about 
you know, the holistic view of, of enabling tech in the, in the space for orthopedic sports medicine and pretty much all surgical interventions. And I didn't ask specifically about real intelligence, but have a, anything I haven't, I think you've alluded to it in your, some of your answers, but anything specifically we should speak to in, in the real intelligence effort? No, the real intelligence is really the overarching blanket, right? It, it's the way we think about and how we re- reimagine surgery and innovation of technology. But, you know, we're, we're very excited about it. We think it's uh, a, a platform of differentiation and, and uh, you know, all of the components that we've touched discussed today, whether it be Corey, uh, whether it be even the Cumulus platform or, or surgical robotics or even our sports medicine business, um, it, it's pretty exciting. And, and, you know, we see it as a, a really seamless vision that we're going to be able to help reimagine surgery and uh, that'll be embracing, you know, kind of both robotics, software, surgical smart tools and, and data to improve outcomes and uh, improve on the uh, digital surgical ecosystem. Great. And just final question. Where are you? I know you came into Smith and Nephew with the intention to transform this this business, the orthopedics business. Where are we in that transformation? You know, Tom, we're, we're still early stages. Uh, I, I think, you know, we, we've uh, created some adoption curves. We've really uh, evolved the go-to-market model. We, we've done some M&A transactions. We've, we've integrated those. You know, really the, the exciting point is, you know, uh, what, we, what we're seeing is, you know, post-COVID environments, kind of the new normal. We'll understand kind of what that looks like and feels like, but uh, I can tell you Smith & Nephew is primed to compete at, at all levels of business, and we're looking forward to the run over the next two to three to five years here. It's going to be a, a great place to be, and we're excited about it. Before the interview, I looked up, I'm a Red Sox fan, all the Red Sox players who drafted the same year you were, and while a couple of them had cups of coffee, none of them are running major medical device businesses, so I think you, <laughs> you won the long game, Skip. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. All right, take care. All right, we're back. Well, it was great to speak with Skip Keel and uh, to uh, to slip a Bull Durham reference into the podcast. Again, it's my, my one of my favorite movies. And it's great to uh, to wish you a happy weekend, Chris Newmarker. And uh, let's you too. Let's find let's help folks find us on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a, a new marker. And you can find me on Twitter at Newmarker. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, we really seem to be getting a lot of attention for our device talks content on LinkedIn, which is fun. And it's cool to uh, to have exchanges with people like the fellow who mentioned the intuitive connection to Avail. So I hope folks will uh, connect with us, comment, like, follow it, make yeah. make our conversations even more fun. And maybe someday you'll get yourself on a podcast. Who knows? Anything can happen. You know, I've been, you know, when people have been uh, reaching out to me on LinkedIn lately, I've more and more of getting people saying like, I really enjoy listening to this podcast. So I, I really appreciate hearing that from people. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I love this. Uh, I love this medium. So, all right, well, that is a wrap. If you would do us a favor, other than connecting with us on social media, if you could share this podcast on social media, we have a few people doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell your friends about it. Uh, email it to them. Text it to them. Just let them know they were out there delivering a weekly discussion on MedTech. Finally, uh, please subscribe. That way you'll get these podcasts delivered directly to you on the day that I publish it, which is on Friday. No need to wait until we put it up on uh, Mass Device over the weekend or MDO on Monday or send it out in our various channels, you can get it first. So uh, don't miss out on that. Just go to your podcast player and push subscribe. That's it, folks. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. See you soon.